Anybody love the God that we serve? Yes. He's been kind to us. He's been wonderful to us. We just love him with all of our heart. All of our Come on, let's sing this great praise unto him. Lift it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory.
and Christ will come again. Jesus's resurrection is the first taste of the resurrection for all of us and the recreation of this world and everything in it. As we think about this reality here in part, but also to come in just a little while, let's hear how Isaiah describes it. This is Isaiah 25, six through nine. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord, we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Yes, let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Let's do that wherever we are as we make music to God together.
Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Can we pray with these words in our hearts? I'll lead in prayer, and at the end of each prayer, I'm going to say, we stand firm, letting nothing move us. And in response, can you follow by saying, we give ourselves fully to your work, which is not in vain. Crystal will also be reading this part as well, so feel free to follow her throughout the prayer. Let's pray. God of power, ruler of all things, you are more powerful than death, more powerful than sin. We praise you, we worship you. You make us overcome death through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom you resurrected with power. We stand firm, letting nothing move us. We give ourselves fully to your work, which is not in vain. God, our creator, we praise you for the victory we will have over death. When Christ returns and makes all things new, when we will be resurrected just like he was. We praise you for this hope that we have become certain about. This hope we build our lives around. It's because of this hope that we sacrifice for you and for others. It's because of this hope that we are willing to be the least rather than the greatest, and that we are willing to serve rather than be served. We stand firm, letting nothing move us. We give ourselves fully to your work, which is not in vain. God, our Redeemer, we praise you for taking on our sin and our shame. We praise you and thank you for how the wounds of Jesus heal us. We thank you for his coming to us, his life and death, to make us new and forgiven and redeemed. We are confident with you because of Jesus. We stand firm, letting nothing move us. We give ourselves fully to your work, which is not in vain. God of healing, we pray for people around us for our world to experience your healing, to receive healing by the wounds of Jesus, to know Jesus died for us, to know Jesus makes us whole. We pray and we keep praying for the people around us. We stand firm, letting nothing move us. We give ourselves fully to your work, which is not in vain. Friends, can we take some time to pray for people that we know or people that we may not know for them to find healing from Jesus? Can we also pray for our workplaces, your schools, your clubs, your social networks, and our city? So let's continue to pray for others.
God of power, you hear us. We trust in you, our very present help and our very real hope. We stand firm in Christ's death and resurrection, letting nothing move us. Through Christ we pray, amen. The peace and joy of Christ to you all. So please share peace and joy to others, um, whether it's a wave or um, through chat, say a hello and peace of Christ to um, those around you. All right, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, we wanna say a special welcome to the newcomers out there. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to be with you, um, even virtually as we meet. Um, if we haven't had a chance to connect with you, you know, please reach out to us at the welcome at greatcommissioncc.org um, or get connected through small groups. I know those are happening throughout the spring and we'll pick back up in the fall, but we'd love to just to you know, say hello get to know you and welcome you into our community here. Uh, want to share a, a special announcement that Casa Chirilagua raised over $100,000 this past week uh, during Spring to Action. So that's amazing. Thank you to all who contributed during the Power Hour and the Giving. Uh, this partnership has been um, so strong over the past couple of years and uh, decades for for folks who have been involved. So thank you, thank you for continuing to support our partners um, in our lands area. I'll pass it over to Lisa for some more announcements. All right, Tuesday prayer. So every week we have um, prayer um, at 8 p.m. So you can um, check us out um, over Zoom. You can find more details on the church's website. Next, uh, we have baptism and baptism renewal services over the next two Sundays. Um, the first one is going to be held next Sunday, May 8th at Tyson's um, at Marshall High School. And then the second one is at Arlington, May 15th, and that will be at Virginia Highlands Park near Pentagon City Metro. Um, there will be a picnic right afterwards, so come join us. Please join me in praying for our offering. Lord, we lift up our offering to you as an invitation to surrender and give thanks. We rejoice in this invitation to take part in the work of your kingdom through our giving. We pray for continued wisdom in the stewarding of the good gifts entrusted to us. May this offering be pleasing to you. Amen. Hello, welcome everyone. It's so good to be here together worshiping the Lord. I'm at home right now, as I know most of you are, as we're together virtually. And um, being at home, I wanted to show you something. It's it's a photo album. And I know some of you, especially if you're younger, um, you're probably like, what is a photo album? <laughs> um, you're so old. Um, yes, that is me. Um, that is us. We have photo albums. Actually, all our photo albums are really old because um, uh, you know, at some point, you know, a few years after um, my wife and I got married, we stopped taking pictures that 
we needed to um, develop and put in an album, right? They're all digital now. And so I guess our albums are all, you know, somewhere like on your phone or like on a social media app or something. But um, we have these things like albums and um, they're really great. Um, so it's fun to kind of look through these books. It's like, you know, I guess it's good to, or it's fun to um, look through albums on a social media site or whatever. Um, here, here's a picture. I'm just taking pictures out of this. This is how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to hold it by the edges. Um, but this is a picture of me a long time ago after the Packers barely squeaked into the playoffs. There was me celebrating. Oh, yeah. And then, um, let's see. Here's another one. Um, great memories. <laughs> great memories. Again, um, me celebrating a, a Packer playoff win. Um, I know, like, I guess Chris liked to take these pictures of me <laughs> celebrating. Uh, yeah, here's a picture of me with, um, with my wife. I think we're just like eating pizza. I'm not, I don't like, I don't know who took this picture. Yeah, but these are like nice memories for us. And, um, you know, I know many of you also know that, um, uh, you know, over the last handful of years, my wife has, um, suffered from, you know, some, um, uh, problems with the brain and she had a brain tumor and one of the effects of that tumor and ongoing even though the tumor has been removed is um, loss of memories and um, I know this this was very um, you know this has been obviously very hard for her and um, you know it had me thinking um, well I guess it had me thinking well it's nice that we have these kind of photos and uh, things like that to keep uh, these memories alive even when you know we ourselves lose touch with them and I remember also a few years back talking to a colleague of mine that I teach with um, at a theological school. And um, I was asking him, you know, what does it mean for personhood? And what does it mean for basically being a Christian, identifying as a Christian when you can't remember things? Because so much about Christianity, so much about Christian faith is remembering um, like what Christ has done and so on. And he, he gave two really profound answers to this question and one was that god remembers even when we don't so when there's no record when there's no photo album when there's um a loss of our own memories in our brain god still remembers and he remembers like perfectly remembers well and um the second answer that he gave was he said well collective memory is actually more reliable than individual memory collective memory is more reliable than individual memory. And he said, you know, we as Christians believe this because this is what we do all the time. This is what we do every Sunday. We remember and we rehearse collective memories that others have passed down to us for like hundreds of years. Um, we rehearse the memory of Jesus' Last Supper and what he said about the bread and the wine. And um, he, um, he, he talked about how, you know, we remember what Jesus' death and resurrection meant, that it happened, and then what it meant. You know, and on Sundays, we read, we study the Bible with books like um, Mark, which we're about to get into, uh, which contains collective memories of the earliest Christians. And these are all more reliable than my own memory of things that happened. And so, um, you know, all that is a long introduction to um, what we're talking about today and over the next... Uh, months actually um, as we go through this series that will go through the summer 
on the book of Mark or what's called the Gospel of Mark. It's a biography of Jesus and it's a work of collective memory. See, Mark knew some of the disciples, the writer Mark knew some of the disciples and seems close to Peter. And this book was written probably within 20 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, maybe a little bit later, maybe even earlier. And um, he probably, you know, talked to people who were with Jesus. He might have just written down stories that were commonly known in the uh, early church. And, you know, we have to remember that the early church was a really small world. Um, you know, everyone knew each other by a couple degrees. You know, uh, last week we read at the end of Luke um, a story about a person named Cleopas, and we might think, why does Luke name him? Well, I think probably because people knew him in that early church. I mean, a lot of people knew him or, you know, were like one or two degrees uh, separated from him and knowing people. You know, and it's possible, yeah, that people reading this Gospel of Mark were being exposed to Jesus for the first time. It's like, oh, you know, I've never heard of Jesus. And, Here's this book, um, great, so I can know about the life of Jesus. Um, but more likely, I think, is that the readers of this book, especially when it was first written, already knew a lot about Jesus. They knew a lot of these stories, actually, and they had met some of these people in the stories, perhaps. Um, some of them were already Christian, you know, and this book was helpful partly as a collection of memories of Jesus, collective memories of Jesus. And as an authoritative collection as well, um, partly to answer questions they had. And we might think, okay, what kind of questions did they have? And, you know, obviously we can't know for sure, um, but they are, they are, there are clues in this books, you know, and sorry, we, there are clues in this book. We can notice what Mark emphasizes. We can notice how he tells the story of Jesus um, to give us clues about what kind of questions he's trying to um, answer and respond to. Um, in this first chapter, and that's the, you know, that's the passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's in this first chapter, it seems like Mark's reader, readers knew about this person um, who started preaching before Jesus did, named John. He was known as John the Baptizer, or sometimes it's, he's called John the Baptist. And I'll just call him the Baptizer because I don't want us to think that John was like a, a Baptist, capital B, like Southern Baptist or something. Um, those kind of Baptists weren't around back then. Um, and another thing that Mark's readers knew, uh, besides that there was this person named John that they might have had questions about, um, Mark's readers also knew that there was this term that the early church used, good news or gospel, um, good news or gospel. And it was helpful to them, I think, to receive this collective memory in the book of Mark of what that term meant to Jesus. And for both these questions, Mark actually takes us back to Isaiah the prophet, as well as to Jesus. It's kind of interesting. Um, when we look at this uh, first chapter of Mark, it's almost like me looking through um, a photo album and then trying to understand a photo of, some, like, of someone in the photo looking at a photo album. Um, but this is what we have in Mark. We have a, a, a narrative, a story about um, Jesus, as well as John the baptizer, and then we have them reflecting on um, the book of Isaiah the prophet. So actually, before we look at Mark 1, um, we'll read from Isaiah, and um, I'm reading from Isaiah 40. Okay, Isaiah 40, and this is starting in verse 3. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. 
the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news of the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news of the gospel. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's Isaiah 40. And we're going to turn to, to Mark chapter 1. But before we do that, um, as we're in the middle of scripture, can we pray? Um, please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this word that you've given to us. And we pray that you would speak to us as you desire. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bring us close to you. Speak to us, teach us, and lead us in your way. Through Christ we pray. Amen. All right, now I'm going to read Mark 1, and we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses today. All right, so Mark 1, this is how he starts. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the beginning of the good news. By the way, in Greek, that word is euangelion, from which we get words like evangelist and um, evangelical and things like that. But the beginning of the gospel, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so right away we, we uh, get Isaiah. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's from Isaiah 40. Verse 4, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Verse 12, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, so John was arrested, and um, I think the early church knew this about John. Yeah, he, he preached before Jesus came, and uh, or before Jesus kind of came onto the scene, and, um, and he was arrested. And later, we'll find out that he was put to death. But I think the early church sort of knew some of these contours of John's story. Verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news, the euangelion of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I'm going to say that one more time, these last two verses. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, 
of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, the good news. Amen. That's Mark 1, verse 1 to 15. So I think we can, um, we can, you know, we can sort of hypothesize that Mark's earliest readers knew who John the Baptist was. They knew stuff about him, but maybe they had some questions. And they also knew that there was this term that was used in the early church, um, good news, gospel. And um, for both of these topics, Mark takes us back to Isaiah the prophet. You know, for us as we read this, I don't know if we come with a lot of questions about, the, about John, John the baptizer, maybe, I don't know. But um, I think we definitely come with questions about what gospel means. So just really briefly, um, let's talk about that first topic, John the baptizer. Who was he? What was his importance? And the idea is, Isaiah predicted, Isaiah was a prophet, and he predicted that God was going to come. God was going to come with salvation. This was the good news, the gospel, that God was going to come and rule and save and rescue and heal. But before this happened, there was going to be a voice crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. That is, there was going to be a, a preparation, someone who was telling people to get ready for God to come. And Mark is saying, Isaiah was talking about John the baptizer. This was John the baptizer. And when John pointed to the person after him, that is Jesus, we realize that the salvation of God, the coming of God, is all about, it's all wrapped up in Jesus. All right, so that's just very briefly John the Baptist. But like I said, you know, I think for us as we come to this text, um, I don't know if we have a lot of questions about John the baptizer, but we do have questions, I think, about what the word gospel means. Because we, I think we throw that around. We use that term, gospel, good news. Um, again, in Greek, the euangelion. And maybe we, um, we, we use that word, we hear that word evangelical, you know, which um, I think started as a very theological word, but um, over time has become, you know, just uh, basically a political slash, um, you know, I don't know, socio-political designation, I suppose. Um, but what does this word mean? Like, what is gospel? What is good news? Like, what is the gospel? And again, we have to go back to Isaiah, all right? Um, I'm going to actually have us look at one more um, section of Isaiah. Um, well, first, let me, let me look at Isaiah 40, um, these, a few verses from Isaiah 40 later than um, what was just quoted in Mark 1. Isaiah says, go up on a high mountain, herald of good news, that is, evangelists, those who carry the good news, the gospel. Lift up your voice, herald of the gospel. And this is what you're supposed to say. And this is the good news. Like, what is the good news? This is what you're supposed to say. This is the announcement of good news. Like, this is the good news. Behold your God, that is, God is here. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. What's the gospel? That." God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. What is the gospel? It's simply that God is here and he comes to shepherd. He comes to lead. He comes to care. He comes to save. He comes to heal. 
um, there's a ver there's a verse also a little bit later in Isaiah that I think helps us as well with this idea of what is the gospel, what is good news, and it's from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It talks about beautiful feet, pretty feet. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You know, who has such pretty feet? It's these people who have the gospel, who bring the gospel, who carry the good news, who publish peace, who bring good news of happiness, publishes salvation, who, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What is the good news? What is the gospel? That your God reigns, that your God is here, and your God rules. You know, the, when uh, the early church, when Jesus, when Mark uses the word gospel, that's not a, a word they made up. It's a word, I think, that goes back to Isaiah. They're picking up Isaiah's language. This is the good news, and this is what Jesus says himself in verse 15. What is the gospel? This is what he's proclaiming. This is what Jesus is saying. The time is fulfilled. That is, this is the time that we've been waiting for. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Your God reigns. Your God is here. Behold, your God is here. He comes to shepherd us. He comes to rule us. He comes with might. He comes to save. The gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, isn't only that your sins are forgiven so that you can go to heaven when you die. It's so much bigger than that. That's a way too small of conception of Jesus' good news, of Isaiah's good news. Jesus' life, Isaiah's promise is so much bigger than that. You know, because we can ask, if the good news is just about like going to heaven when you die, then why did Jesus heal so many people here in this life? Why did Jesus cast demons out of people? These are the stories that we're going to be reading over the next uh, handful of months. Why did Jesus teach us so much about love and humility? All these things he did and all the things he taught are part of what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news that comes from God. And the kinds of things that Jesus did and the other ways that Jesus taught us to live and think and feel. And ultimately the fact that Jesus was here among us and is still here among us through his Holy Spirit. All these are what we mean when we say the good news of God. Jesus says, this is a gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is, is imminent. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is simply where God is king. Where God is king. Where God is treated as king. Where uh, God is obeyed. Where God is honored. Where God's ways are done. And the logic of Mark and the Bible writers and Jesus is that if God has come, if God is here with us, his kingdom has come. Okay. Um, so what happens in the kingdom of God? Like what happens in this kingdom of God? What happens when Jesus the king, when Jesus the king of this kingdom arrive? People get healed. 
And this is what we're going to be reading throughout Mark. People get healed. People get reconciled. Demons are expelled. Evil is turned away from. People humble themselves before God. People obey God. People thank God and worship God. People know that God is their father, their king. People find rest by becoming one with Jesus and taking on his burdens and letting go of their own. People find relief in the kingdom of God because they throw off lies that crush them. You know, that's what we've been talking about um, over uh, actually the last couple of months. The lies that we live with that are so bad for us, but we just continue to live with them. And as we throw off lies uh, that Jesus reveals, we find relief. What else happens in the kingdom of God? Well, justice gets done because God is a king of justice. People act righteously in good relationship with others and with God. Justice flows like a mighty river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. The poor are lifted up and defended and protected and honored and healed. The marginalized, the oppressed, prisoners are released. Debts are forgiven. The blind see, like the literal blind, literally see. The deaf hear, the lame walk, and the dead, literally the dead become alive. This is a kingdom of God. If you hear the kingdom of God is basically a geopolitical state, even this state called America, let's get back to scripture. Let's get back to scripture. Let's think with Jesus. Let's think with Isaiah. Let's think with John the baptizer and Mark. You know, America, let me just say this, America is not the kingdom of God, nor has it been, nor does it aim to be, or should it? You know, I, I love America. You know, I love the promise of America. I love, you know, huddled masses yearning to be free. Like, I want people and places in America to experience so much redemption and healing and freedom from lies. And, you know, I, I, you know, I love so much of what America stands for. I love even, like, the brokenness of America. I love that immigrant's dream here. And, and I love even that, you know, that sad and pointed beauty that so many Americans and American immigrants uh, fall short of their dreams. You know, it's heartbreaking, but it's just part of the beauty of what this country is. Um, you know, and all that said, America is not the kingdom of God. You know, if you have an instinct to substitute America whenever you read like God's people in the Bible, you got to repent of that and get clear of that. You know, if you think that American prosperity or certain American political agenda or a leader is basically the same thing as the kingdom of God, repent of it and get free of that because, you know, truth because you are in serious grave danger if that's the case because you think you might think you're connected to Christ but maybe you're connected to something or someone else instead because you know you know I'll just um, be frank there's a frighteningly strong chance if you have that instinct no matter how sincere your faith is um, that when Jesus returns he's gonna say to you like I never knew you okay like let's get let's talk about this when we speak the good news of Jesus we are speaking the fact that God is here. We're speaking the fact that the King is here. We aren't just inviting people to believe in something. You know, yes, we're, we're inviting them to, to believe, yes. That's what Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. But I don't want us to think of that belief as just something just purely like academic or purely intellectual. Because I think more than that, we're inviting people with this good news, and we've been invited through this good news to experience something that is experiencing the kingdom of God. You know, when we talk to people, when we evangelize, when we give the good news of Jesus to other people, we're not just 
inviting them to change their mind about something or about a theological topic. We're inviting them to experience something. We're inviting them to pray with us and know that God listens. We're inviting them to receive healing. You know, whether it be like a physical ailment, an emotional ailment, like a, perhaps like something um, like a trauma they're dealing with, emotional healing, spiritual healing. We're inviting them to experience the beauty of God's way. We're inviting them to experience the beauty of God's love. We're, ex we're inviting them to experience God's sense of justice, God's sense of righteousness, God's sense of faithfulness, and to live that out. That is the good news of Jesus. And what's a response to this good news that Jesus tells us to have? What's a response that we're supposed to have to this good news? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 15, repent and believe in this good news. Believe that God is here. Believe that God is near. Believe that God is the king. Repent. Put aside old ways. And again, not just change your mind about a certain theological topic. Change your mind about how you feel about, or what you think about who God is or something like that. That's part of it. But much, much bigger than that is this experience of God's kingdom. This turning away from a life that does not recognize God, that does not recognize God's nearness to a life that does, to a life that does. Sometimes we might hear this term, um, receive Jesus, and, and maybe you've heard this phrase like, receive Jesus into your heart. And sometimes it feels like um, we're receiving the way we sort of receive a gift. And, you know, I think that's true. Um, but I think another part of that understanding that, um, you know, the words that the Bible gives us to receiving Jesus is sort of like, it, it's hospitality imagery. It's hospitality, it's hospitality language. When we say receive Jesus, it's like receiving someone into your home. It's like receiving somebody, showing hospitality to that person, welcoming that person. And I think there's a, I think that's a helpful word and a helpful image for us as we think about repenting and believing this good news and experiencing God's kingdom, that it's here, that it's near. We're invited to welcome Jesus. We're invited to say, Jesus, King, do your thing. Do your thing here. I want to see your healing. I want to be part of that. I want to see your ways get followed. I want to be part of that. I want to be uh, seeing and experiencing justice and compassion and righteousness. I want to understand that what love is. I want to understand that love, the kind that you showed, is dying and giving yourself to others. This is what we are called to, to repent of and believe in. You know, a life that is not welcoming Jesus, a life that um, is not part of this kingdom. Changing that to a life that is in Christ, a life that is in uh, Christ's kingdom. Jesus, as we know in this uh, story that we tell all the time, Jesus died, he was resurrected, and then he ascended. 
um, but he didn't leave us when he ascended because he gave to us the Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the mind of Jesus. He gives us the heart of Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, we do the acts of Jesus. You know, we do um, the kingdom. We do the life of Jesus uh, together with the Holy Spirit. As we just close here and as we look ahead to um, studying the book of Mark, I uh, just want to encourage you. Um, as we read this, let's understand that the Lord is inviting us to experience his kingdom, to know this good news. And, and as we do that, let's turn uh, from a life you know, that is just on our own, sort of without recognizing the reality of God and his kingdom, to a life that understands what Jesus has done, that understands um, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus, understands the kingdom that he brings and welcomes that. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit, and we pray for your kingdom around us. We pray that we can know you. We pray that we could experience you just as you want us to. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And through Christ we pray, amen. Um, I encourage you uh, now um, as we take communion to just remember the Lord, just remember his life. And as we eat and we drink, make that um, sort of a physical way of expressing to God, uh, God, I understand that Jesus has come. I understand that your kingdom is here, that it's near. Uh, you're inviting me to experience it. Just like I experience this bread, I experience this wine. That's what I'm experiencing. Um, that's a reality of a life with you, that we actually experience you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, um, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is a cup. Um, this is a cup um, not just of wine, but of blood. My blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so as you take this bread and you take this cup, um, remember me. Let's do that together while we take. And um, Mia's going to lead us in a song. I encourage you to, as you take, just to sing the song and continue praying to the Lord. Speed. 
thanks so much everyone for joining us today uh, as we go from here um, let's go in the power of the holy spirit let's go in the reality of the work of jesus let's go in the love of the father let's go and help others uh, to know news. let's live out that good news let's experience it help others do the same amen we look forward to seeing you all soon okay take care